All right, guys, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to see some things. He's going to talk about a mark of a faithful servant. We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about that its importance in, in our lives as we look at this, okay? So let's look at, we're in Lesson 15, let's look at verses 14 through 26. We're going to focus, first of all, on verses 14 through 19 and talking about being faithful in ministry. Now, as I say that, you say, okay, well, this has nothing to do with me, George, because I am not in ministry. Yeah, maybe you're right. You are right in the sense that you're not employed to be a minister. But the reality is, is every single one of you are in ministry. Ministry simply means service to the Lord, okay? And you were saved for a purpose, and that purpose was to serve the Lord, okay? So every one of you is involved in ministry in that sense, okay? So when it talks about being a faithful servant, that's what really what we're talking about here, faithful service to the Lord. So look with me at verse 14 through 19. And here he's talking to Timothy, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words, to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hemenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. All right, so let's talk about faithful, being faithful in ministry. First of all, he's going to tell us not to argue about nothing. Timothy was to remind the church of good doctrine. Okay, one of the things that we are to constantly do with each other is to remind each other of good doctrine. So let's stop for a moment. What What is good doctrine? What would we mean by, when you hear that, my job is to remind you of good doctrine? What does that mean? Okay, based on Scripture, but what what specifically are we talking about when we say good doctrine? What do you need to be continually reminded of? Okay, salvation by faith. So, okay, so Bruce hit it. So, I'm, you need to be continually reminded what salvation is based upon. You say, really, George, do I need to be reminded of that? Yes. Why do you think you need to be continually reminded of that? Because sometimes we forget. Okay, because we forget, number one. How about number two? That's where the enemy is going to attack you at. Oh, it can't be surely because of faith, because look at how you act or how you do these things or look at that mistake you made. Surely it's not by faith. So you're going to continually be attacked in that area, right? It's going to continually attack you concerning the issue of faith. 
So you need to be reminded about salvation because you're also going to be attacked because you're going to see some folks who will say, well, you shouldn't have gone to that restaurant. You know what's in the midst of that restaurant, right? Why did you go to Applebee's? You shouldn't go into an Applebee's. And they're not talking about the healthiness of the food. They're talking about the bar that's located in the middle of the, of the restaurant. You shouldn't have gone there, you know? Those are the things that we're talking about here. Telling you what salvation is and what a good Christian is. So you need to be constantly reminded, okay? What are some other good doctrines that you need to be reminded of? Okay, the Trinity, the unity of the Gospels, I mean the unity of the Godhead. How about who God is and how he acts towards you? Because it's real easy to be confused about God and his actions towards you because you might think of God as being the big heavy waiting to throw down on you, to squash you because of sin. Now God is to be respected, God is to be feared, but sometimes we can have an unhealthy viewpoint of God that we need to be continually reminded of, okay? All right, those are some things that we need to focus on. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're not supposed to focus on here in a moment. So, Timothy was to remind the church of good doctrine. Believers are not to argue about words that profit no one and hurt others. So here's what he's saying. Don't spend your time arguing about needless things. Don't spend your time arguing about needless things, because that's not going to help anybody, is it? All right, so stop for a moment. I have folks in here who have been in church or affiliated church with church for a long time. What kind of needless things have we argued about in church? Okay, politics, okay? Spending of money, okay, but what else? Not, not, just, not just practical things like that. That's good, Bruce, how we spend money. What are some other things? Mike? Okay, color of the curtains. Yeah, that's pretty pretty uh, needless, right? Version of the Bible. That's a good one. Yep, which version of the Bible? How many of you have ever heard that argument? And, you, and so forth. Okay, yes, things that you, hold, you personally hold tightly that should be held loosely. Yep, doctrines that you think are significant that need to be held tightly to. Okay, what else? Needless arguments. What were you saying, Randy? Music. Music, okay, that's a big one. Okay, that's always a big one. All right, what else? Yeah. Yeah, what we believe as far as the rapture, that would be, yeah, that would be, there's been needless arguments over that. Or end time things, okay? You know what I'm saying? I read the Left Behind series, and it's pretty thorough. Uh, yes, I understand, but it's not the Bible, it's fiction, okay? All right? Like, do you read a historical novel that you bought at Walmart that has some romance story connected to the Civil War, and it talks about the Civil War. Is that authority about what happened in the Civil War? No, it's a novel based on historical... That's the same thing the Left Behind series was, okay? 
historical or theological fiction. Do you understand? Okay. All right. What else? Yeah, different interpretations of the text. Okay. Usually it has to do with funky interpretations of the text that haven't been around for a while. Okay. Mike? Okay, legalism. Okay, would you would you say that legalistic things? Okay, I don't see any suits here today. Okay, and I don't see any honey buns with long dresses with sleeves down to your wrists and hems down to your ankles. I don't see that here. We're not doing too good, are we? Okay. All right. So yeah. So believers aren't supposed to argue over those words. Hey, but are there folks who do? And do they make it a, almost make it very much a sign of spirituality and whether or not you're truly Christian? Like you can't truly be a Christian if you go to a church that has an ashtray out front. Do you know what I'm saying? That can't be right. I mean, you can't be a truly a Christian if you wear jeans. Or eagle's garb. He's not wearing it today, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Do, do, do what I'm saying. So believers, we're not supposed to spend our time because, listen to me, the end product of that kind of discussion, he already says it here, it's going to what? Hurt people. Offend people. All right, let's go on. Timothy was to present himself to God as a worker who is not ashamed. So you and I, we're to present ourselves to God as a workman or a worker who is not ashamed. And you say, how do we do that, George? How do you and I present ourselves to God as somebody who's not ashamed? Well, he goes on and he says, a good worker studies the word of God and can handle it correctly. This is how you present yourself as a good worker before the Lord, as a workman, is that you rightly divide the word of God. Now, what does that mean? Rightly divide the word of God. I, I kind of gave you a, a general sentence there, what that means. It means handle it correctly. What does that mean for you to rightly divide the word of God? What does that require of you? Okay, so you're saying... Be aware of how it's fit together, okay? All right. But it's a little bit more than that, though, Tim. First of all, you got to read it, right? You know, the Bible is not just an ornament for your bookshelf. Or like when I was driving one time, I had to go to Dubois to visit somebody in the hospital, and I always go down and cut up, you know, uh, Anderson Creek Hill here, and I was going down past the Pike Township building, getting ready to go on the railroad trestle, and I saw a car in front of me, and it had this white book in the back, just shoved up in the back, on the back ledge of in, in his car. And I was like, man, what is that book? He's obviously abusive. And I got closer to it, and I realized it was a black Bible. It was white from all the dust that was laying on top of it. I thought, that's a great place to put your Bible, right? He obviously uses it, right? No, he doesn't. He's not a workman who's, he's going to be a workman who's what? Ashamed, right? Because he doesn't know how to handle his Bible. What, what that means is he doesn't use it. What we're talking about here is, is if you read your Bible, 
God's going to speak to you about things, and you're going to know how that fits together. You're going to handle it properly. Like this morning, I come in here about 10 till 8, turn the coffee on to make sure you guys have your warm brew, okay? And I was downstairs reading. I was in Luke today, Luke chapter 19 and 20. Had my highlighter out, and there were several things that God was saying there that really spoke to me, talked to me. Okay, so like, okay, Lord. And it's like, how many times have I read through Luke before? Many times. But every time I see something new, something that speaks to me, it'll be the same for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? It'll be the same for you. Rather than focusing on needless arguments, can I be honest with you? The fo- can I? All right, let's, let's just take one issue. Mike mentioned legalism. Here's what I have found in being a Christian for 30 years. Tell me if this isn't true. This is my observation. The people who argue about how you should dress to church or what Bible, remember uh, Sam mentioned the version of the Bible? What I have found is the people who argue about that don't read their own Bibles. If you talk to them about their Bible, they don't know anything. All they know is, is what some preacher told them and they're standing on that issue. They don't know their own Bible. So like, for instance, they'll stand on the King James Bible, but if you talk to them about reading their King James Bible, they don't read their King James Bible. Why? Because they can't read it. Did you understand what I'm saying? It's a different English. Those words aren't used anymore. So this is the point. Quit focusing on worthless arguments and words when you could focus on rightly dividing the Word of God and knowing what it means. Do you understand? Don't be a workman who's ashamed, but rather who's not ashamed. So again, he's going to mention again here in verse 16, Timothy it was to shun profane and idle talk that leads to ungodliness. Avoid, look at what verse 16, but shun profane Shun profane and idle babblings, for they increase more in ungodliness. He's going to focus on what God's Word says. He's not going to focus on just the average talking. Look, when you get with a bunch of buddies and you've got a bunch of... They, they talk about stuff that they shouldn't be talking about, right? Don't, don't engage in that because that's going to lead to what? Ungodliness. Why? What you feed your mind with comes out of your what? Out of your life. Actions. What you feed will take over. So then Paul points out that Hymenaeus and Philetus were involved in profane and idle talk. So here was a couple of guys in the Ephesian church who were involved in this kind of stuff. And they were arguing about stuff that really should not have been arguing and it was hindering people. What were they arguing about? Well, These false teachers destroyed the faith of some as they claimed that the resurrection had passed. Wow. Now, we know that this happened in the early church because Paul talks about it in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about some saying that there is no resurrection from the dead or it already has happened. Remember also from 1 Thessalonians, there was also a teaching there that said that uh, Jesus had already come back. 
The resurrection had already taken place. And so the Thessalonians were bothered by that. They thought, how's that possible? So what I want you to understand is, is these guys were bringing forth idle teaching that was hindering people. Hey, there is a doctrine right here in our community. It says that everything already took place in A.D. 70 with the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans. Jesus came back then, folks. Now, if you believe that, that's going to ultimately, what? Destroy your faith. It's going to destroy your faith. Do you understand? So these false teachers destroyed the faith of some as they claimed the resurrection had passed. Listen, what hope do you have if you've already have people telling you that Jesus has already come back? Isn't that the hope that we have for right now? To go on with the next day because he hasn't come back and he's coming for you and you're going to go be with him, right? I mean, when somebody tells me Jesus has already come back, are you telling me this is the kingdom? Look, folks, look around town. Look around our world. Is this the kingdom that Jesus promised to set up? Is graffiti, a church, part of the kingdom? Did you know what I'm saying? This is what I'm trying to say. Now, here's the solid foundation, verse 19. Believers have a solid foundation when they know that God knows who they are. This is the thing that he's going to stress here. You can put that all aside because here's the thing. God knows who you are. See, the the thing about the resurrection already happening the fear that would have happened with those people in Ephesus was this, God forgot me. No, no, God's not forgetting you. If you belong to him and you know him, he knows who you are. So he knows everything about you. He knows all the difficulties that you're going through this week. Isn't that wonderful to know that? He knows the difficulties that are yet to come. That's awesome to know too. So like nothing surprises God. So believers have a solid foundation when they depart from sin in their lives. You're going to have a solid foundation in your life when you decide to quit doing what you know you shouldn't be doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you depart from the sin in your life. Now, he's going to talk about clean vessels. Look at verses 20 to 26. But in a great house, there are... There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, love, faith, love, peace, with those who are who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come 
to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken by him to do his will. All right, so let's talk about clean vessels. So he's going to give a, an example of a house. Okay, so stop for a moment. If you look at your house, a vessel is like a pot or a pitcher. So if I went to your house, do you have pitchers in your house that hold water? Do you have pots, bowls? Okay. Some are used for what? Cooking. Then you've got some in the warehouse that you use for what? Cleaning your, your brushes when you paint, right? Would you use that for your meal? No. That's dirt. That's a dirty pot. Do you know what I'm saying? In their day, they had pots not just for that. You have a toilet in your house. They didn't have toilets. They had pots that were used for if you had to go do your business, right? Would you ever use that pot for? No, not at all. So you understand the concept now of pots used for honor and dishonor, right? Everybody understands that. That's what he's talking about here. Okay, so in a big house, there are various types of vessels that are used for honor and dishonor. So we understand that, right? Everybody's got the illustration, all right? Everybody's got the point that he's making here. When a believer cleanses himself from sin... That is, he deals with the sin in his life. He becomes a vessel useful for the Lord. Hey, this is something we don't talk about anymore, do we? But we need to. When we look at our lives and we say, why isn't God using me? Why isn't God using me? I wish God would use me. Or why isn't God using our church? Maybe it's because we're not clean vessels, right? Maybe it's because we're allowing things. Because we're, we're okay. Because number one, we'll say, oh, I'm forgiven. So it's okay. I'm forgiven. Real, really? Okay. Is it okay? Even though you're forgiven, is it okay? Number two, it's not that big of an issue. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, it is a big issue. And... So God is, through his word, saying to me, hey, you know what? You need to deal with the sin so that you can be a vessel of honor so I can use you, okay? So you got to ask yourself that question. When a believer cleanses himself from sin, he becomes a vessel useful for God. Now, I know somebody's going to say, well, you know, George, there is a sin. I want to deal with it. I'm trying to deal with it. I, I can't overcome it. I keep getting So I'll never be useful to God. Yeah, first of all, let's recognize something You can't deal with the sin in your life, only who can? God. So God will give you the ability to do it. How do you do it? Well, let's go back a few verses. Rightly divide the word of truth. You know how you're going to deal with stuff in your life? Feed yourself with God's word. Rightly divide the truth. You know, every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who will tell me it is not important to read God's word. They'll tell me, as a Christian, they've never read God's words. Why do I need that? I just go by what God tells me. How's God speaking to you if it isn't through his word? Do you know what I'm saying? How's God speaking to you if it isn't through his word? He's got to speak to you through his word. As soon as somebody tells me that, I know there's somebody i got to keep an eye on. Because they're not lit. they don't even know what God's word's telling. God's word tells you everything, right? Okay? So, when a believer cleanses himself from sin, he becomes a vessel useful for the Lord. Believers are to flee youthful lusts 
and pursue the fruits of the Spirit with other believers. So what we need to do is put aside our youthful lusts. And when you, even when you get older, you still have those youthful lusts. You've got to flee from them. Now, the concept of fleeing from them is kind of like, remember in Genesis, when uh, Joseph is alone in the house with Potiphar's wife, and she says to him, lay with me. And so what did he do? He got out of there. You say, well, it didn't turn out okay. Doesn't matter. He fled. That's the concept here. Flee from your lusts, because lusts lead to what? Sin, if you act on them. Okay? And rather, what you should be doing is pursuing the fruits of the Spirit. In fact, that's what is said in 2 Peter. I gave you a reference there in your notes. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As his divine power, so that's talking about the Holy Spirit, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, that's through the relationship with God, the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we might become partakers of the divine nature. And look at what he says here. Isn't it interesting? Scripture always reinforces Scripture. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Remember what Paul just said, flee it. Okay. Look at what he says. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith what? Virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. What's all of that? That's the fruit of the Spirit. You and I need to be pursuing the fruits of the Spirit in our life. Now look now at verse 23. He's going to tell us again, if I'm going to do this, what do I need to not do? If I'm going to, if I'm going to deal with the sin in my life, focus where I need to focus, Focus on the fruits of the Spirit in my life. What do I need to avoid? Look at verse 23. Look at what he says there. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So here, once again, Paul tells Timothy to avoid foolish arguments that generate strife. So stay away from guys who, who are focused on that. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if you got your whole focus on that, you're not focusing on other areas of your life where you need to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I can almost guarantee you that there are some areas that have to be neglected in that person's life, right? And when he talks about it, that's all he talks about it. So let's say if, if, if we got, Bruce, if I got together with you for coffee regularly and every time I get together with you, I'm just talking about the end times and how this fits in the end times and how that fits in the end times and, and this, that, or another. And that's all I'm, what are you going to think after a while? Because that's all George talks about with you. I don't need to be with you anymore. Yeah, and especially if I say something that irks you. Did you understand what I'm saying? Are you going to hold your tongue after a while? No, no. No, no. <laughs> no, no, he's not, is he? Okay. No, it causes needless fighting. Do you understand what I'm saying? So again, we got to avoid that. Listen, folks, act like they're a vampire. Stay away. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't hang out with them. Because first of all, you're like, you know, we've gone through books of the Bible a lot here in this, in our, in our ministry here, right? How much does it talk about the end times in scripture? 
It talks about it some, right? Does it talk about it all the time? No, it talks about a lot of other things, like what? Marriage, your personal walk, prayer, how to act out in the world. Talks about a lot of stuff, right? Not just one thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not just one thing. So it's saying avoid that. Avoid foolish arguments that generate strife. Now, Paul states that a servant of God does not quarrel with others. Now, when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't listen to this. When I was younger, if I was sitting with you and you came off the wall with some crazy kind of wonderful, deep theological truth of, that was made no sense and no basis in Scripture, I would have just said to you, you're wrong, and just told you why you're wrong. Now I've got to the point where I just basically have come to the conclusion you're not going to convince everybody of truth. And if they're blind to that, you're not going to open their eyes. Only God can open their eyes. And so I, I don't avoid, I, I stay out of arguments now. Why waste my time? Because here's what I've noticed in 30 years, 30 plus years of being a believer, almost 33 years now. You can't argue anybody into the kingdom. Do you hear me? There is no way to argue anybody into the kingdom. None. It's not going to work. So Paul states that a servant of God does not quarrel with others. The servant of God must be gentle to all as one who teaches all. So the servant of God needs to be gentle with people. Why? Well, first thing that I've recognized is not everybody's on the same level. Have you all realized that? We're not all in here and we're all on the same level spiritually. Everybody is at a different point in their walk with Jesus, right? Everybody's at a different point. Everybody has a, has a different understanding as God has revealed that to them if they know the Lord. And, and, and so those who are mature need to be gentle with those who are what? Immature because, first of all, in your height of maturity now, were you always at the height of maturity in your walk with Jesus? No. In fact, as you get older, if you're walking with Jesus, you become more humble because you realize more and more, I shouldn't be saved. You know, do you know what I'm saying? God saved me, and I shouldn't even be saved. And so who am I? Do you know what I'm saying? Who am I? You know, it's like, you know, George Whitfield, the story of Whitfield when he was in England, walking and seeing a man going to the gallows in the public execution. And he said, there, but for the grace of God, what? Go I. You realize, given the same circumstances, same situation, you could do the same thing. So you learn to be gentle with people because you're trying to teach all people what? What good doctrine is? The gospel. So the servant of God must be what? Patient. You gotta be patient with people. I know you just want to grab them and say, listen, get it into your head. That doesn't work. You gotta be patient with them. Okay? Be patient with them. Servant of God must correct others in what? Humility. How does this work? If, if Bruce is doing something wrong and I come to him to talk to him about something he's doing wrong, but I talk down to Bruce, 
I make Bruce feel like he is nothing, okay? And I'm telling him, Bruce, you are not doing right because I'm on the perch of righteousness, okay? How's that, how's that work? Does that work with anybody? It doesn't work with anyone. Faculation 6.1, I think I gave that to you as a reference. It talks about you who are spiritual come in the spirit of meekness and gentleness, what? Seeking to restore their life. So if you're going to deal with people, you've got to correct them in what? Humility. That's recognizing that you're no better than them. And given the same circumstances in the same situation, you could do the same thing as them. Okay? Now, we are to do this in case God grants them repentance and they come to their senses. We are to do this in case God grants them repentance and they come to their senses. Now, I think this is interesting. There's a big discussion about whether or not there needs to be repentance. Repentance is the changing of one's mind, which results in the changing of actions. So when it talks about you repenting in the Bible, it talks about you changing your mind, and which results in a change of action. Now, in this verse... It's interesting because it reinforces that. It talks about God granting them repentance, and then it says that they come to their what? Senses. What's that mean? Well, for instance, remember the story of the prodigal? I was just reading this, the story of the prodigal. He goes off, he says to his daddy, Daddy, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. That's basically what he's saying. I want my inheritance now. I'm not waiting for you to die. Just give me what I want. He goes off in a far country, spends it on himself to the point where he has nothing. A famine comes. He's got to find work. The only work for him, and this is interesting, he's a Jewish boy, is feeding pigs who are considered unclean, and they don't give him anything to eat, so he's got to eat the stuff that the pigs are eating. And it says that he came, it basically describes him coming to his senses. How much more are the servants in my house fed than what I'm eating here? And he decides to go home. He comes to his senses. I pray that. When I pray for unsaved loved ones, here's what I pray. God, open their eyes so that they can what? Come to their senses. Lord, grant them repentance so they can come to their what? Senses. Because you know, here, listen, if you know you're dealing with an unsaved loved one, you know that they're not thinking right, right? Okay. So we're to do this in case God grants them repentance and they come to their sentence. We do this so that they might escape the trap of Satan to do his will. This is why we do it. We deal with people with patience and gentleness. We deal with them so that we might be able to witness to them so that they might be able to what? Escape the trap of Satan to do his will. Because unbelievers will do the will of Satan. I thought that's only when they sell their soul. That's just baloney. Nobody sells their soul. Satan already has your soul. If you're an unbeliever, you already are a slave to him. Period. Okay? Period. All right. 